Welcome to Tomorrow's Tech Today, bringing you the latest in technology, talent and transformational change. With me, your host, Professor Sally Eaves. Hi, everyone, and a very warm welcome to Tomorrow's Tech Today, bringing you the latest in technology, talent and transformational change. With me, your host, Professor Sally Eaves, CEO of Aspirational Futures and indeed inspiring new aspirations. The next generation of innovation and breaking frontiers is very much the focus of our discussion today with this special feature episode with IBM's Institute for Business Value, or IBV. This is IBM's business research and thought leadership institution, enabling C-suite executives with research-driven insights to boost business IQ. And I really love that expression. Brilliant. So to talk about the trends making a difference from technology to evolving behaviours and expectations and values, I have some fantastic guests from IBAB joining us today. Firstly, it's Chad Andrews, who's global leader for telecommunications, media and entertainment. Welcome, Chad. Oh, thank you for having me. Appreciate it, Sally. My pleasure. Thank you. And we also have Christine Gonzalez-Watts, who is also the Strategy Offering Management and Marketing Lead, specializing in electronics, environment, energy, and utilities. Welcome, Christine. Yeah, I'm the space advocate, since I technically can't own it, but I'm the space advocate. Thank you so much for having me. And also, it's a delight to welcome Noriko Suzuki, is Global Research Leader across Automotive, Aerospace and Defence Industry and also I noticed has a great interest in diversity in STEM so a great synergy there too. Welcome Noriko. Hi, thank you Sally for having me and I am very excited uh, about this show. Thank you. My pleasure, thank you for joining us and we literally are around the sun in time zones as well which is fantastic. So the UK, the US and Japan so we've all come together around the sun which I think is absolutely wonderful. I thought maybe to start it off, now I always love to know a bit more about the person behind the technology and the role. So perhaps we could do a little round robin on that and we'll we'll go in the same order if that's okay. So Chad, just tell us a little bit more about you, what you do and what you're most passionate about in your role um, at IBM and IBV specifically. Sure. So uh, I've been with IBM for about uh, nine years. I've had roles in the media and entertainment consulting practice, and uh, I also served as the global solutions lead for advertising and cloud video prior to my, my role now. I've always been um, fascinated by technology innovation, but really around the purpose of technology. So, you know, I, I think the human aspects of technology. So today I, I'm really fascinated by the prospects that we might be on the cusp of a massive technology revolution, one that may impact humanity in aggregate more than any of the technology waves that we've seen in the past. So I'm most interested in how the convergence of networking technology may bring us together. And in some regards, I'm more interested in some of the problems that we have to overcome in able to ensure that that technology is really serving humanity. That's brilliant. Thank you. I love that integration that you were discussing there. I think that's so, so important. We'll definitely come back to that. Um, And Christine, if I could go over to you. Sure. You know, it's always hard going after Chad because he he does such a great job explaining these things that I always feel a little bit, I always feel a little bit smarter for him and a little bit less on my side. But, you know, this is what it's like to work with him on a regular basis. 
I think that for me, when I look at electronics, just about everything has become electronic. And, you know, if, if we needed a, a bigger proof point for that, it was that when we ran short on semiconductors, the world shut down, whether it started with autos and it, the knock-on effects from that small aspect taught us that that we needed to do things very, very differently. And so I think that I'm so excited to own the electronics industry um, for the IBV because it is so central to so many things that are happening in the world. But from the outside looking in, I think that the, the transformations we're having around the way people don't only interact with technology, but the technology transparency is becoming fascinating because as the actual operations of technology fade into the background, we really have to think about the, the rationale why we do things. And that makes all of this interesting. And then the other part of it is, is space and space is just space. Well, I love that. We'll definitely come back to that massive shared interest on that subject as well. I love that. I love the synergies already. Narika, I'd love to come to you and tell us more about your role, what you do, how you got there. Yeah, I have been with IBM for the past six years, but I am in this current role at IVB's automotive lead since the beginning of last year. And before that, I was specialized automotive consultant serving automotive customers worldwide. And then I have actually been in automotive industry since uh, many years, about 20 years ago. And I have seen a lot of up and down and different waves coming and going uh, over the years. But uh, I am seeing right now the biggest change in automotive industry is happening and it's something real. And then people said this is a, a biggest change in the 500 years. And uh, the transformation is really, really massive. And uh, uh, the car is becoming something different. And uh, the whole industry is redefining mobility itself. And it's transforming to uh, something really different. And the digital technology is a key enabler for all these changes. And I am very excited to be in this IBM role because uh, we are also a kind of driving force, accelerating this transformation process along with our customers. So uh, this is a very exciting time uh, to be in this industry. Absolutely. No, I love that. That's brilliant. And what I'll do, I'm going to reverse the order with, with the first question and kind of go off the back of what you were saying there, Nariko, as well. So just before the, our session today, we were talking a little bit on a Twitter Spaces session and looking at you know what's inspired us, the innovation that's come out of CES 2022 this year. And obviously, all the sectors that you've all mentioned were really at the heart of this event, too. So perhaps we can take it in turn to explore something that came out with us that we can share with the audience you think was meaningful or inspired you or was really indicative of a trend to grow this year. So, Nuika, what really stood out for you? What inspired you at CES? Yes. Unfortunately, I couldn't be on site this year. I was planning to fly to Las Vegas until really last minute, but I had to cancel because of this Omicron situation. But I have been watching these streaming uh, videos related to uh, automotive industry. So uh, a couple of things I uh, saw as a clear trend from a CES. The first one, you know, I am seeing a clear shift and focus on EV and uh, uh, auto industry. And uh, many OEMs are clearly focusing their resources on the EV development and introduction into the market. So this is one thing I clearly noticed, you know, it's a continued trend. I observed from a IAA International Auto Show in Munich last year in September, but uh, uh, the shift is really becoming uh, very clear. 
And then the second, the one of the biggest topics that we are talking about in the automotive industry is a, a supply chain issue. Uh, I am seeing this. This is a little bit easing, but it uh, the it's continue to be a you know, big issue that company needs to tackle. The companies taking actions to de-risk the situation, and then they continue to invest in mitigating risk uh, related to this issue. This is the second thing. And then the third trend I'm seeing is um, there is a continued digital reinvention efforts going on. And uh, what I mean by that is uh, really uh, car makers and auto industries working to um, accelerate digital transformation and uh, making uh, mobility and the product digital native and uh, a lot of functionalities and experiences defined by digital technologies. So this move to uh, digital experience in all aspects of the industry is the third biggest move that I see in the, in the CES this year. Fantastic. Great examples there, um, both across the, the trends that you mentioned there. Absolutely. I, I was at the, the Mercedes launch online as well, and that was very much looking at EV and also things around the materials that are being used about you know battery life, um, lighting of products and materials, etc. So really, really interesting. But also the innovation you mentioned there about how CS has been delivered as well. Um, so with this kind of hybrid event that we've been talking about here as well, but also kind of creating a metaverse experience, if you will, as well. So I particularly loved there was a Procter & Gamble section. Um, and obviously I'm slightly biased coming from London, but they brought in the Royal Botanic Gardens and literally you could be wandering around virtually and almost touching and feeling and like seeing the ingredients and really bringing those sustainability um, aspects to bear. And you could be, almost be tactile with it you know, online, which I thought was really exciting. It helps people immerse in it and makes it relevant and accessible to you wherever you are. So I love that. So this kind of metaverse booth kind of approach I thought was really effective for, for the event this year as well. So really, really interesting. Um, Christine, I'd love to hear from you. What stood out for you? You know, for me, I look at it and say so many great things happen at CES. I was really kind of proud of us um, putting the Mayflower front and center in our booth because I think it is such a fabulous story. And it sits at the heart of what so many things IBM and IBMers believe in, whether that is, you know, AI and automation and autonomous being one part of it. But on the, the other side, this focus on sustainability and on creating new ways of engaging and developing ways to highlight how we believe in solving problems. And it's such a cool, cool story. I also think that when I look at that, one of the engineers was Naeem on, who worked on the Mayflower, and also bringing that same discipline to to space. And this was the first year space was even featured at CES. You know, the other thing I would be remiss if I didn't mention is I am part of the, you know, the CTA's uh, Diversity and Inclusion Council. And I think some of the more meaningful conversations that happened at CES this year around not just diversity, but actually focusing on inclusion were critically important to creating the future we all need to move forward in. And that has to bring forward different voices than we've heard getting us here. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more strongly. It's moving along that continuum to inclusion, diversity, equity and belonging. And you're absolutely right. I think one of the words that in a previous conversation we've had as well was about embedding 
And that's one of the biggest changes I'm seeing, things that I care about deeply in that area and sustainability, you mentioned front and centre there as well. They're not conversations that are periphery. They're being baked in, they're embedded and they're meaningful. They're being backed up by tangible actions as well, which I think is fantastic. And, and the project you mentioned there about Mayflower, I absolutely love it. You know, that combination, you know, running on solar, captained by IBM AI, you know, equipped with automation and cloud, it's that integration. But again, I love the fact that um, not only is it supporting research around climate change, for example, on things like uh, microplastics in the sea, um, but also I think it's just so inspirational. You know, I work with a lot of kids um, in my nonprofit, Aspirational Futures, and that's about breaking down barriers to access to tech, but also inspiring people to say, hey, do you know what? I can do that. That could be a career for me and helping them to be curious. So I also think the inspiration, the metaphor of the Mayflower, if you will, I think is really exciting and will bring benefits to so many people as well. So super excited to see that back to sea for the Atlantic voyage in the spring. And we've actually got a special episode exactly on that project as well. So everybody listening, please look out for that one as well, because they're coming out almost back to back. So a bit of a double header here, which is brilliant. And Chad, I'd love to hear from you as well. What's your kind of key innovation or inspirational takeaway from CES? Well, as we all know, just a couple months ago, Facebook rebranded as Meta, meaning Metaverse. And I'll step back in time to 2016 when uh, I was sent to a VR AR conference. I won't pick on anybody, but there was an analyst firm that, that opened up that conference and predicted that AR by 2020 would be a $120 billion market and VR would be an additional $100 billion market. Now, they were off by almost the entire prediction, um, which is interesting because there are a lot of te technology predictions made. Uh, very few predictors are held to account, uh, but that was a particularly big miss. But perhaps informed by that, but also um, by the experience of, of wearing those kind of clunky headsets that made you dizzy. You know, I've, I've been a, an overall skeptic that people at large will step into an alternative universe that will be a metaverse, thinking in terms of... Uh, the great fiction of Snow Crash or Ready Player One, that there'll be this sort of interconnected alternative world. I think that will emerge in connected gaming. Um, you know, I, I think there's there's a there there. But one of the things I, I saw at CES, I, I didn't attend physically, but I saw virtually, was a contact lens that's being uh, marketed by a company called InWith that allows experience of overlays of a metaverse experience. And so what that leads me to is I don't know when the metaverse will materialize, but I think it's not going to be this alternative world, I think, when it really takes off. I think what will really make it a tens of billions of dollars into the hundreds of billions of dollar market is when there's a seamless integration of visual information with the real world where essentially the real world becomes the metaverse. So you may step into gaming environments. It may be that you have uh, geotags as you're walking through Times Square and you're seeing marketing offers or other information overlays that are just embedding itself in your daily experience. But we saw Snapchat a couple of years ago say that they were sort of um, strategically putting their, their glass device at the center of their strategy. But in the past, we saw like with Google Glass that there's been, you know, a difficulty in people really embracing a comfortable, seamless experience of visual information with the real world. But I think that that, that to me is just very interesting and raises my eyebrow that if there is going to be meaningful action in the next uh, couple of few years, 
and real scale in the metaverse. I think it's going to come through innovations, something like this contact lens. Super. That's fascinating. I love that, Chad. That's brilliant. And just before um, I go on to a question about some of the research at the Institute of Business Value, what I wanted to do is just come back to you as well on one other point. Um, I noticed that the CE Innovation Awards had come out today as well. And I just wondered if you could just give a low review about IBM's involvement as well, because a couple of things stood out there in terms of special recognition I saw. Yeah. So Sally, one of the things that we did win an award for was the Tellum processor. And uh, it, we were, it was an honoree for our first on-chip accelerator for AI uh, inference and, and insight. And it is especially helpful for uh, consumer fraud. And it helps sort of do that while the transaction is in flight. And that means that you can prevent fraud from ever hitting in your system. And that is a huge win to balance sheets. Um, it's clearly especially important in commerce. It's also really good for trading applications and for financial services, insurance when you're doing online underwriting. So it's always fun to win awards. And we always, we always love when that happens. And in this case, the IBM Tellum processor was something we're quite proud of. That's wonderful. Fantastic. I think hitting on things that obviously right up there for consumer concerns at the moment as well, and really supporting that. So fantastic news. That's brilliant. Thank you. Um, I think I'd love to go now and just explain to people a little bit more about the brilliant work that you're doing than the research you're putting out across different sectors that's really reacting to these evolving trends and anticipating them, if you will, and just looking at you know, changing expectations and behaviours as well. So what I thought I would ask you is, you know, of all the work that you were doing like last year, maybe what is your favourite report that you brought out and why? And what are you most looking forward to diving into this year? Perhaps to Nuriko first. So last year, we published Track 2030 report. Actually, that was a work between myself and my predecessor, Ben Stanley. And uh, we are predicting the, what, what the future holds for the truck industry for the next 10 years. And, uh, you know, uh, we talk a lot about the digital reinvention in the automotive industry, but the same thing is happening in the truck industry. And uh, we are seeing that the digital experience and the personalization feature is really defining the product itself and also the management of uh, the fleet features becoming very important uh, for the fleet management companies. So there's a lot of uh, changes happening around the commercial vehicle industry as well. So this is uh, uh, one big report that's very interesting. And then uh, another interesting report which came out uh, last year is about the digital commerce. And uh, automotive retail is very traditional. We have an automotive dealer network and uh, the primary touch point for the customer is uh, dealers. And then uh, the traditionally, the car makers marketing efforts and uh, dealers sales efforts didn't transition as smoothly as uh, our consumers would like to expect. So uh, the car makers are really working hard on uh, making this transition smoother using uh, digital technology and uh, AI and then making this transition smooth at scale and a comfortable and a wonderful customer experience. So this second report is also very, very interesting and uh, it's called uh, Lead Management for the Automotive uh, Paper. So uh, those are two interesting papers that came out uh, from my industry. Fantastic. Thank you for bringing it to life. That's really interesting. Thank you. Um, and Christine, over to you. I might have a hint from this, from something you told me recently. So uh... I'm going to surprise you, Sally. <laughs> I'm going to surprise you. Clearly, you know, I can talk about space all day long, but one of the 
the more interesting things that we're working on, and one of the unsung heroes at CES, is actually the energy industry. And electrifying energy is a huge topic. You've got a lot of things that are happening, and it's a place where Clearly, Europe and, and the UK in terms of energy retail is by far, by far and away ahead of where we are in the US. So in looking at it, we did a study that'll come out later in the first quarter that is actually about renewable, resilient, and responsible. And one of the things as industries electrify, whether it's automotive, whether it's manufacturing, whether it's all of the, the, the pieces that are here, we are finding that now, and this is important, Technology is the main driver of why businesses are making change instead of tech regulation. And, and, you know, so government regulation, 54%, and actually technology being empowering to enable change at 56%. And that goes up when you get to a group that we call green energy movers. These are people who are ahead of the game and are starting to use an instrument, their physical plant, because the grid is the single most complex non-human system we have. The energy grid is the single largest uh, complex non-human system that we have. So we are talking about this notion of a digital base layer and how you build that out. But, you know, a lot of times you hear about this from the consumer point of view. But in this particular case, it's whether or not you're going to be able to contribute back with energy from your house how your smart appliances are behaving, how um, we're looking at holding on to energy as it traverses longer and longer distances, and how you're driving intelligence into the networks. So there's a lot of really fascinating pieces going on, not just to protect and, and uh, understand, define digital and physical assets together. We talked a lot in other conversations today about um, digital twins. This is one place digital twins are an absolute imperative. And you might recall that there was a cyber attack on a pipeline in the U.S. These kinds of things, protecting this sort of infrastructure and creating new means around that infrastructure working is actually going to be fascinating. And it couples with another effort that I worked on this year around the clean electrification maturity model. And while we started out working on clean electrification from the utility perspective, what happened once we launched was we started to get car companies asking, well, you know, we need to kind of consider those sorts of elements as well. And governments coming back and saying, so we need to have an understanding of where we are vis-a-vis -vis clean electrification planning. So I love when you start to see these industries come together and cross over and create new means and new ways of working that will allow us to um, create greater sustainability, especially as we remove fossil fuels and develop plans for the future of, of a much greener planet, I hope. That's fantastic. What a great example. And I saw some of your other research as well that kind of was looking at like the role of the CIO and CTOs and saying, can they be the next sustainability leaders and really underpinning that with research stats as well, um, looking over the next three years. So yeah, fantastic. Yeah. If you look at the role of the CTO needs to be able to understand not just how to keep technology up and 
running within the operation, the traditional CIO role, but the CTO owns a lot of the public facing pieces, the pieces that go out into the world. And that creates a very new dynamic where um, the CIO and the CTO have to work together to build these truly sustainable in the means of ongoing operations, but also sustainable in terms of what we can turn over to the next generation. Brilliant. Thank you so much. And Chad, I'd love to hand back to you now as well for, for your thoughts on this in terms of research, either that's just, just you know, come out or to come this year. First of all, the IBV's tentpole deliverable is something that we call a research insight report, and it's based on our own primary research, and it will uh, include technology insights and recommendations. And the major one that I was responsible for last year was called the end of communication services as we know them, which I think is pretty provocative and bold, but was uh, substantiated by the data that we got back from a survey of 500 global telco leaders on the topic of 5G and edge computing where we asked about investments that had been made to date. We asked about the status of use cases and what use cases were important and the role and value of different types of technology. To summarize, what was, I think, really fascinating about the report is when you look at projections from 5G, whether it's revenues that will accrue to internet communications technology providers, whether it's benefits to industry, there's a commonality, which is we're sort of in this startup mode now until about 2025, where although we're starting with very low revenue, there's about 10x growth. But we're going from low billions or tens of billions, depending on what's being measured, up maybe to 100 billion. But then you have this inflection point around 2025, where you have another 10x growth, but you're going from hundreds of billions into trillions of value. So what you're anticipating there is this sudden blowout in scale that's going to happen around 2025. And when you understand what's driving that scale, largely it is uh, cross-industry use cases, use cases for, for enterprises that are very different than traditional connectivity, which was aimed and organized around the consumer. It's much more customized, much more bespoke. Tech connectivity has to be paired with other technologies, and it has to be distributed in networks that are often fanned out in topologies out to the edge to the edge and the reason for that is 5G in its full standard allows for new capabilities like extreme low latency uh, high throughputs high speed machine to machine communication but to get some of those capabilities out in their full form needs new new topologies and new new radio infrastructure um, but I think that the major insight that, that came from that paper is that when most of that scale really comes, when the demand is there, it's going to be in a boom and it's going to be very sudden. And if you look at, 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 at sort of what is needed to make the economics of that work, something really profound sort of starts to rear its head. And that's there, there's been two great previous digitization eras, the PC era and the cloud computing era that we're still in. And both of those are defined by when the foundational technology goes from being hardware-based and proprietary to opening up, becoming software-based on commodity hardware. And when that happens, open innovation drives tens of trillions of dollars of value. And these are decades-long eras. So because we're going to have the need for this profound new set of capabilities that are driven from the network, 
around 2025. And just historically, all those servers and storage became virtualized and open within the cloud computing era. The communications networks largely didn't. They remained on proprietary closed engineering-based hardware. But that's about to change profoundly where the network itself, like cloud, is going to be virtualized and software-defined and cloud-delivered. So it's going to be an IT function and not an engineering function. But for that to really be able to meet the economic needs for the level of scale that's coming and the distribution of all this infrastructure out to these new topologies, there has to be a completely new era of digitization we're calling network cloud that's going to take the torch from cloud computing. So what I'm suggesting is that virtualized networks are not simply going to be pulled into cloud computing as a new efficiency. What I'm saying is that the network itself and connectivity and new forms of virtualized connectivity are going to be the new platform for almost all open software innovation that happens globally for thousands of use cases. And when this happens, it's all going to happen from digital platforms or not all of it, but the majority of it. And the majority of it is going to happen from, and this is, I think, the really profound insight, from digital platforms that are already in market around 2025 with significant user traction and infrastructure footprints. What we found in the survey, however, is that a minority, only 26% of all telcos, had even identified pilots for enterprises. So what this means is that the telcos are faced with a really generational decision point, which is you know, they, they were told for years is more value accrued to internet companies away from telcos. The telcos spend the majority of the money on the networks, but most of the money is made through the digital layer that's provided by internet companies. You know, there were recommendations included by IBM over the years that the telcos should position to add more value as digital service providers and digital service enablers. What's different now is if they don't, and there's a real ticking clock here by about 2025, which means if they don't become, in some regards, technology companies based on platforms, and there's no one strategy, there's different models for different telcos on, in terms of what opportunities they'll target, they really run the risk of, of several forms of disintermediation that we, we unpack in that report. One is potentially from hyperscale cloud companies that are investing very heavily in, in telco uh, network functions. Um, there's really three, Microsoft, Google, and Amazon. Because there's the, the expense of building out these new distributed networks will require uh, much more of services revenue to be, to be used to offset those investments by the telcos. So they're going to have tremendous pressure on their balance sheets to reduce operational costs. One, they, one way they may go about doing that is, is by outsourcing more of their telco network functions to the, the hyperscale companies. If they do that, there's a danger of the hyperscale companies owning more of the control plane from the cloud out to the edge and relegating the telcos to more of a commodity role. So we, we talk, talk about that sort of in depth and some of the scenarios and things that the, uh, the telcos need to look out for and ultimately make the recommendation for why many of them will have to uh, sort of embrace more aggressive digital transformation. In terms of asking for what's coming this year, that was the end of communication services as we know them. Uh, we will be publishing a companion to that, the end of media and entertainment services as we know them in April for National Association of Broadcasters. And that's based on data that I just got back yesterday from a survey of a thousand media and entertainment executives across entertainment business domains, including video streaming, cable and satellite, gaming, et cetera. That's superb. Hot off the press. I love that. That data is just in. That's brilliant. And what you were saying there before that around telco, before former CTO in that space. So what you were saying there, utterly fascinating. I couldn't agree more about that trajectory. Super, super interesting. 
I know now we're starting to run slightly short on time. And so for a kind of final question, I wanted to do something slightly different. And I'd polled the audience a little bit from Tomorrow's Tech Today around uh, another question. I sent some links as well to some of your research. Um, and a couple of them that struck people's chords were around the CTO revelation um, and also your 2021 survey around the role of the CEO as well. So the final question that came back in the poll um, was looking at a different area, which was skills. And I think that really works perfectly for actually for our conversation today, because we've talked a lot around technology and the network, evolving business models, the importance of open innovation. Um, also, by, by implication, really, I think the importance of a collaboration in the ecosystem as well. So perhaps our final question during off that, that hot spot that came back from the research data I had um, is if you had to like advise people who either in a C-suite role, it could be that CEO one or the CTO or the CIO, because it's come up again in conversation today. We've got a lot of, of evolution happening here, more integration, more agency in different roles, new places where they didn't have them before. What would you recommend where you were going to focus on from a skills development point of view? And what would you say is the, the key thing in your, in your toolbox, so to speak, to help grow into these evolving roles and how things are changing with all the research we're seeing here? And maybe for uh, Christine first on that one. It's such a great question. I think one of the things that we need to do is change mindsets and not the least of which in that mindset is around ecosystem and around openness. We have been, you know, taking so much time and saying that we have all of this propriety. We have all of this, this control. And if we look at some of the greatest examples of things that um, have been achieved, not the least of which is the COVID-19 vaccine, by working in a more open operating model, then I think that that really should be a skill we focus on. Not just ecosystem development, not just offering development, but actual collaborative skills, especially as we've lost a lot of the opportunity to do that face to face. So we have to give thought to how we build that for our, you know, for people who who've been hired right out of school in the past two years, they haven't had any of that physical interaction. How do we help create new ways of working that are not just supportive of new open operating models, highly doubled down on ecosystems and on creating ways where the data adds value and not necessarily as much the devices. Absolutely great point there. Thank you. Um, and Noriko, I'd love to hear from you on this. Yes, the uh, reskilling the workforce is uh, one of the big agenda for automotive industries uh, executives. And uh, it's driven by mainly a couple of things. Uh, one is uh, the car makers product mix is going to be shifting to a more electrification. So with the shift to EV, you need a lot more software engineers and electronical skills in the company. And uh, it can maybe trim down a little bit of uh, uh, traditional powertrain uh, resources. And uh, uh, you need to uh, shift the resource mix dramatically. So uh, automakers are really planning to spend a huge amount of money to rescale and um, reskilling the workforce. So this is one major point. And then another thing is that uh, because uh, the car maker's product is shifting to a more experience based and uh, the consumer's need is changing to expect excellent customer experience. So the way you to develop the product is going to be changing. So it, traditionally, the product development cycle was like 18 months uh, from initiation to the market. But the uh, car makers has to be much more agile and then the people's skill set has to be changing. 
A lot of car makers are adapting a new way of developing the product. For example, they are introducing a lot of garage method, which is garage method combined with design thinking, which is to design the product from a customer's experience product point of view, instead of a traditional way of developing from like a specification, improving torque and the power and the speed, that type of a mindset. So the skill set change is a big transformation that's going to be happening in the next five to 10 years in the auto industry. I love that example. I always think we talk about agile organizations a lot, don't we? Um, but we need to have that same kind of agile individuals, that agility to change. And that comes from the, the focus, the investment on upskilling and reskilling, I would say steam learning skills as well. And that confidence to actually apply those skills in these evolving roles as well. So I think that's absolutely spot on. And also approaches to change management like CICD, for example, as well. So brilliant points there. Fantastic. And Chad, if I can go to you for your final response as well, that would be wonderful. Sure. Um, first, there's an old IT joke, uh, IT nerd <laughs> joke, which is uh, how you know, because it's coming from me, which is, why did it take God seven days to create the heavens and earth? Why did it, Chad? The reason is because he didn't have an embedded base, right? So, <laughs> exactly. And of course, we are nerds, so we laugh. But the point being, all of the needs of connectivity do not thread through new 5G network uh, architectures for telcos. So there's a whole life. And for the next few years, there has to be assessments in terms of considering the legacy investments and different forms of connectivity that may have to be combined within a single solution, for example. So I don't want to imply that, you know, there's a, a massive need for complete transformation um, that, that's necessary for all telcos, certainly for the time being. But that said, there is a trend. As I stated earlier, we expect to see a really sudden blowout of scale sometime around mid-decade, mid driven by new capabilities and new demand, largely for enterprise use cases. And when that occurs, that scale can only be met with the efficiencies of cloud. So the traditional network functions of telco have been engineering-focused, engineering-based on you know, traditional hardware appliances that are largely made by network equipment providers, that's going to have to shift to IT gradually becoming more central with the telco organization. So the skills that will be needed are technology architects, certainly automation and zero touch and tent-based automation will be important. Because you're talking about such a huge increase in scale, there has to be a diminishment in the, the proportion of manual intervention. So automation, AI, those types of traditional IT and cloud-based skills are going to be at a premium. Fantastic. Thank you, Chair. Well, what a way to end it. I think it's been a fantastic journey here right across you know, telecommunications, media, entertainment, but equally energy, space, automotive. And I think A, also we've been on a journey not only across technology, digital transformation and trends, but also the importance of culture, shared values, purpose, evolving expectations and behaviours, particularly around areas like sustainability, diversity, equity and inclusion as well. So thank you all for joining me. It's been an absolute pleasure. So thank you, Chad. Thank you, Christine. And thank you, Noriko. It's been a real joy to have you. Thank you so much. We love being here. Been a pleasure. Thank you. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate that. And thank you all for listening as well. It's been a great to have you. And thank you for the questions you submitted in advance of the episode as well. So thank you all and look forward to joining you for another episode soon of Tomorrow's Tech Today. Thank you all. Thanks for listening to this episode of Tomorrow's Tech Today. 
If you enjoy what we're doing, please subscribe to us and leave a review. It really means a lot. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram and see more behind the scenes video footage on YouTube. Thanks for listening.